Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Aaliyah. This will be episode 12. We haven't been around in a while. We're going to make a commitment to bringing this show back this year um, with the help of some folks other than myself. Uh, life is busy and things don't happen like we like sometimes. <laughs> so today I am here with a lot of folks. I have Miss Megan Hargrave. Hello, everyone. Miss Leslie Dixon. Hello. Mr. Jeff Molzo. Greetings, all. Miss Janine Stanley. Hello, hello. And bringing an, a podcast debut, I think it's Jeff's, and also it is Chris's podcast debut. Hey, Chris. Top of the morning. Or afternoon. Or evening. Or whatever. Yep. <laughs> one. Um, whatever it is in your world. Yeah. <laughs> So today we are here to talk about something that if you have been reading online or your favorite guide dog email group, WhatsApp group, or whatever group, you will know that the Department of Transportation at the end of January issued a notice of proposed rulemaking regarding service animals in the aircraft cabin. And there has been some serious uproar about it. And we're going to kind of sit back today and talk about different things that are involved with the NPRM and kind of how to dissect it and how to go about reading it and really getting a good understanding of it. So a little bit of background first. How, how did we get here? Well, it seems to a lot of people like this thing has come from out of the blue, out of nowhere. It hasn't. It starts with people being people and trying to skirt regulations. There has been a lot of discussion about emotional support animals getting on aircraft that shouldn't be there. Um, they have poor training. They've bitten people. They've had accidents. Lots of things have happened. Um, and there has been a distinct uptick in the number of ESAs transported on aircraft. The Somebody help me here. Who was it that called for a review of the legislation? Congress actually had, with the reauthorization of uh, the FAA's funding in 2015, I think it was, they had actually asked this to be looked into. And then again, in uh, 2018, 2019, they had asked it to be looked into as well. Uh, and the Department of Transportation, actually, after they upgraded some rules and things like that, which included the joyous thing about service animal relief areas in 2009, they actually said, oh, you know, we're getting a lot more complaints and we probably ought to look into this. So they decided to start a negotiated regulation process, affectionately called a regneg. And this was a way to get all the stakeholders, sorry for all the jargon, guys, but, you know, it is what it is. But they wanted to get everybody together in one place and try to find out what kind of a rule people wanted and what kinds of things should go in the rule. So they did it in a very interesting way. And I don't know if you want me to go on about that or not. But. Uh, sure. If, if, give the, give the summary. <laughs> okay. This is, this is the backstory. So the summary <laughs> was that the regneg, one of the three access areas that the regneg addressed was service animals and that particularly the definition of service animal, because the way that service animals are defined now 
is that they are animals of any species. And this is a big umbrella term that includes the working animals that we know that mitigate disability and also emotional support animals got thrown into that definition. And this was the crux of the problem. And the airlines apparently went to the DOT and said, we've got to do something about this because we're losing money. And we, the consumer community who actually work with service animals, said, our animals are getting attacked and we're getting blamed for all of this craziness on the airlines. And dot, you have to do something. And so they did. And so the regneg process was born. We slugged it out for about six months. I was the co-chair of the service animal group. And at the end, we could not come to an agreement on what we thought the proposed definition should be. And it came down to um, a disagreement literally over one sentence in the whole rule. And so, okay, we don't have an agreement on service animals. Oh, dear, whatever shall we do? Well, we're going to put out an advance notice of proposed rulemaking, which is going to tell you what we think we might want to do is <clears throat> the Department of Transportation. And then once we get everybody's comments back, and there were over, I think, 6,000 comments on that. Yeah. Then... Yeah. <laughs> then we're going to put in some uh, interim rules because things started to get a little crazy again. And the airlines, this time it went definitely in the airlines' favor. And the DOT said, look, until we get the new rule out, we can only prosecute so many things. And so these are the things we're going to go after. And then they finally, after literally four years of waiting, uh, put out the NPRM here in uh, January. And so we have 60 days from the date that it appeared in the Federal Register, which I'm not exactly sure when that date was, was sometime uh, the last week of January. Um, but we have 60 days to comment. And these rules are based on everybody's comments to the NPRM or the ANPRM and a lot of comments that came in after and a lot of meetings that people had individually with the Department of Transportation. So there we are. That's how we got where we are. That's a big backstory, guys. I mean, there will be a quiz later. By yeah, the way. totally. <laughs> I'm going to publish it at the end of the show notes. We're going to have multiple choice questions, all that. Um. <laughs> We will actually post a link to all these things. We're going to post a link, if it's still available, which I think it is, to the NP or to the ANPRM. Um, I believe it's still there. The uh, yes, the enforcement priorities document, which was released released last summer, and then to the NPRM. These are all critical in understanding how we got to where we are right now, which. A lot of us, frankly, are looking at this document, shaking our heads and going, oh, God. Um, so um, I want to explain briefly, because Leslie, you don't have a dog, correct? I do not. Not yet. So what was your interest in coming on this show? So I just started the process of getting a dog um, a month ago, but literally just a few weeks before this came out. And so that in itself was what made me take notice of it. And then I also travel a lot. I at least a few times a year fly. So I'm definitely someone that will be affected by this. And that, you know, made me start thinking it's already taking me a long time to decide whether or not uh, I actually wanted to pursue getting a guide dog. And so this, this made me kind of sit back and go, well, now I have to wonder, am I making the right decision? Um, and it, 
you know, it has me a little bit concerned just because that's the airport is one of the major places that I want to be able to use my dog. Absolutely. And we're going to get into some of the proposed things later on um, and some things that you should be aware of as a as a consumer, as a handler of a dog or even as a friend of a handler of a dog going through uh, this document. But first, I want to talk about and um, because this let's be let's be honest. OK, there's the summary posted online from the DOT of the proposed <coughs> rules, and that doesn't make it look too bad. And then, well, you download the PDF and the PDF, if you look at it, will scare you because it is 94 pages. Is that right? 94, I want to say. I just looked at it. 94, 96. Yeah, 94, 96, (laughs) something like that. It is It's a lot. (laughs) And there's a lot of words. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of language. There's a lot in it. And so I want to talk about, and and Janine, you've seen a lot of these things before. Um, (laughs) You've gone through a lot of these documents. Um, And so I, I want to get some ideas from you. And as far as how does somebody who who doesn't have a lot of knowledge of of legalese or a lot of knowledge of the technical terminology how do you go through that document and process what it what it wants to tell you good question because it can be very overwhelming i would suggest that people Probably the biggest tip I can give you if you're using adaptive or assistive technology is to bring that into your favorite PDF reader and then go into the table of contents if your PDF reader has that capability to show you the table of contents. A number of the sections of this NPRM are legalese that have to be there, and they mean nothing. They have nothing to do with the actual verbiage that's in there or or anything to do with the law. But read the first section um, that talks about the history, why a regulation change was needed. And then the very last section, which I believe is called list of subjects, that's the actual new rule that they want to put in place. That's the actual wording that will go into the law to change it or the regulation to change it. And so you want to read those two things. Then you can go back and you'll see there are nine different sections off of, I think it's the third or fourth uh, major heading in the table of contents. And I, the first thing I want to say about reading this with assistive tech it was badly put together. It is not a quote-unquote accessible PDF nope. from that standpoint. It doesn't use headings. It doesn't or use, shame. you know, all of your standard. Nah, yeah, I know. I know. Shameful. The Fed should know better. But, <laughs> yeah, this looks like something somebody converted poorly from maybe a Word document or something. Yeah. But uh, so use that table of contents to go through and take a look. And that table of contents expands out so you can see each of the various sections in here. But the two most important or the history, and then a look at, you know, the list of subjects. And then you can go back into these nine areas because not only is there the list of subjects, but there are also within the nine areas questions that the DOT wants answers to. And they say right up front, you know, we've already heard that you don't like this, or we've already heard this thing in the ANPRM. So please don't restate that. We want to hear your answers to these questions. And at the end of each of the segments in the middle of the document, there is a a heading level that's called DOT. 
I'm going to call it a heading level. It's really not, but it's called DOT. And it's the last section in each of these segments. And that's where they ask their questions. So what do you think of miniature horses, for example? Uh, what do you think of XYZ? Should emotional support animals be included? And if so, how? And so that's how you want to read this. And then if you're really, really bored, then you can put it on, you know, read to end and have yourself a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a party. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we want to bring this show to you to really help you to to work through this and we we encourage you if you are concerned about any of the things that we're about to talk about please read the document then submit comments the only way that this is going to end up favorably for service animal handlers is if we comment and loudly about these things and articulately, you know, we want to make sure that, that our comments make sense, that they are not just flaming of the DOT and telling them how stupid they are. Um, please don't do that. Um, please be reasonable. List your arguments, because that's the only way that we're going to make change. The first section that we really want to pay attention to is... Section four, if you're looking in the table of contents of the document, that is titled Summary of Proposed Regulatory and Deregulatory Provisions. That sounds like a lot, but it really does give an overview of what the DOT is seeking comment on right now. And the first one we're going to talk about is definition of service animal. The department proposes to define a service animal as a dog only that has been trained to do work or perform tasks similar for the benefit of a qualified individual with a disability. That sound familiar to anybody? It should. Mm -hmm. That sounds like the ADA, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. So first point of contention here. And the first thing that the DOT seeks comment on, and I want to get everyone's thoughts on, is they seek to remove miniature horses from this definition. And there are some service animals out there that are miniature horses. So I'll uh, step back and allow people to, to talk about this. What are, we, what are we thinking here? I think you've got to look at the fact that you know, there are great miniature horse teams out there, and they do terrific work. But... And, and we're going to get into this later on. You know, we get down to the size provision, okay? Is that horse going to be able to compact him or herself in the space allotted? And we're not, you're talking about some of the commuter jets, you're talking about some of the smaller aircraft. I would think the answer to that would be no. So I'm not sure that limitation is as difficult as it would seem. Plus, what percentage of the air traffic from service animal handlers have been with miniature horses. I would be interested to see a stat on that. And if you've been on one of the newer planes lately, the spaces are getting smaller. Yes, they are. Absolutely. And we'll talk They're about... trying to put more people into that can. I mean, how many people they can fly in that jet means that jet is more profitable. Yeah. Also, a horse's very nature is very timid and I also I understand that as a service animal they need to be somewhat stoic about certain things but 
is a horse really going to be okay with being on a plane? Will it cause a havoc? You know? That would be my concern. I don't know that we should jump to that conclusion necessarily because there are certainly, uh, there's been a couple articles about a couple of miniature horses successfully taking airplane trips. Now, my my concern is the tendency for a horse is you, they don't lay down. They can't. Right. And that's probably one of the not primary easily. concerns. No. <laughs> is that, yeah. yes, they, they don't lay down, so it's not like you can shove it under the seat. But right now, the provisions state that if, you know, the horse can fit on the plane, great, then it can go. But if it simply can't, like on a commuter jet, you know, where you've got no bulkhead space for the horse to stand in. And so miniature horse owners are by nature going to be pretty diligent about where their horses can and can't go, um, because it's not a service animal everybody's going to have, let's face it, you know. I think they're probably more pot-bellied pigs flying as emotional support animals right now than miniature horses as service animals. So I'm good with it because it's already going on and it's not making that much of an impact. And these horses, you know, they have established means of training. There are a couple organizations out there now that train them. There are people who train them and they train them for people with all kinds of disabilities like balance. They're excellent as balance animals. They're better than dogs because structurally they're better for that work. So, you know, um, I think it's probably okay. We'll get into that, though, as Jeff said, when we get into the large animals, because, boy, there are some arguments. <laughs> oh, boy, there certainly are. The other part of this definition, um, emotional support animals could be treated as pets by airlines. Now, I know everybody listening to this show, or most everybody, is probably jumping up and down going, yay, 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 yay. Um, <laughs> and certainly I, I am of the opinion that Emotional support animals, because of their lack of training, should be treated as pets. But there are some serious arguments to the other way. And I, I, I don't know. So I don't necessarily have a problem with emotional support animals, but I would really like to see better regulations for training for those animals for, and I don't want to say certifying because that cuts out owner trained and I do have a problem with that but just the ability for somebody to download a document from the internet and then say here's my emotional support animal there needs to be something done about that uh, so that it's not so easy for anybody to claim their pet as that but I think they are legitimate service animals that that do provide a service to their owner, especially, you know, flying for many people is very stressful. And so I, I don't have a problem with that if, if it's handled a little better. Here's the thing. If you're talking about training and I, and certification as you will, but ESAs can have as much certification as they want because they're not trained. The um, mental health professional has to certify that the person needs the, the dog, but, or cat or rabbit or rat, or whatever. Um, But if you start applying training principles to emotional support animals, then gasp, they become psychiatric service animals, which are legitimate, completely legitimate. And, and my thing is if you need an animal to assist you in flight, then 
to assist with your disability, whether that's psychiatric, physical, whatever, then it needs to be a service animal. It needs to be trained. It needs to have a little more regulation. At the very least, it should be able to pass a canine good citizen test yeah. and and yes. even a public access. Yes. And I think we have, to come, we have to come down to some kind of certification authority. All right. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, as you said, they can download a document from the Internet, say, doctor, please sign this. OK, there it is. You know, my emotional support parrot or whatever it might be. All right. You've got to come up with some kind of certification. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there that resist that. Uh, certainly some of the owner trainer teams, certainly some of the people who don't like to have you know that kind of regulation put in their face. But at the same time, if you want to allow the ESAs in the airplane, and I'll be very honest with you, I'm on both sides of that fence. You have to have some kind of certification. You have to have some kind of way of saying, yes, this dog, this cat, this parrot will be a good citizen, will be a good passenger on the aircraft. Yeah, and I think, well, here's the thing. There's a reason that emotional support animals were excluded from the ADA. And housing, you know, it's your house. It's The dog doesn't have to interact with other people or other animals necessarily if it's in your house. The aircraft is a completely different situation. And so I personally think that ESAs, specifically because they require no training and their mere presence is what provides the service, should not be allowed on aircraft because they're not ready. They haven't been through hours and hours and hours of training. They haven't been through all of the rigorous requirements, whether the animal was owner trained or not, that a real service animal has been through. And there also isn't the expectation that the animal would have that. We're with a quote-unquote service animal or working service animal, which was what we used during the regneg to kind of distinguish the two. But a working service animal is expected to have had that public access, that exposure, the kind of shock absorber training, as it were. And there are a lot of resources out there now that were not out there even in 2008, 2009 uh, for emotional support animal owners to make their animals into service dogs if that animal is suited. And in this case, if it's a dog. (laughs) But there are lots of resources out there now for owner trainers to be able to teach the tasks that they need to mitigate their disability and, you know, give public exposure to their animal. There are ways to do it. You know, and so the excuse of, oh, well, you know, I can't get into a training school and all that for a lot of psychiatric service animals, you know, that's not necessarily needed. You just need to invest some time in training your animal and be responsible. And and let's just say this, that it's not that in contrary to some of the news articles that have been published, this is not saying that the DOT is banning service animals on aircraft. No, no, no. It is saying that airlines would be allowed to treat emotional support animals as pets without penalty from the DOT because the definition has changed. The airline could still allow ESAs at no cost. It would be their decision. And they could develop any program they wanted to, you know, handle ESAs if they still wanted to, you know, do that. And if they wanted to have folks fly with their 
animals that weren't necessarily pets or they were pets with benefits or whatever you want to call them, you know, and they would be able to develop regulations. Pets um, with benefits. Really yeah. Pets <laughs> with benefits. Yay. That's actually what someone called them during the regneg. So, uh, oh my. Yeah. Oh my so I can't, I can't claim that one, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, but the other, now I totally forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Must not have been that important. <laughs> Must not have. Um, so the other briefly mentioned um, aspect of this rule was the question of should monkeys be allowed to be transported as service animals um, under the rulemaking? And, and Janine, you have a little bit of a better grasp than I do on this. Yeah. This, I this kind one of glossed over. Yeah, and there's it's really interesting if you actually read, you know, what what is written here, but this was asked by a specific organization, Helping Hands Monkey Helpers, I think is the name of the organization. They're in Florida, and they train capuchin monkeys to work with people with paraplegia and um, things like that in their homes. So these monkeys don't go out in public. They're strictly in home. And the airline transport of them would be for the trainers primarily, but then also if that person, say, is going to move or something like that. Because in a lot of states, these monkeys are not allowed in public um, to be out in public unless, you know, there's some very, they're not allowed as service animals, basically, under the ADA, but also under state law. Um, primates do transmit diseases. And that's the other reason why they really shouldn't fly. When these monkeys fly, they're in a little um, a little uh, container. <laughs> that sounds like a jar, but they're in a little <laughs> um, in pack, a, a little soft sided yeah soft sided pet carrier, and they usually are tranquilized for the flight because monkeys probably don't like flying much, I would think. And uh, I don't know. These folks presented at the Regnag, and basically they wanted access for their trainers to be able to take the monkeys. And there is no reason right now under the ACAA and beyond it that airlines can't develop a program for this particular organization to transport its animals. And Puppies in Flight is a really good example. That program started... Um, through, I think it was either US Air or United, and now they transport puppies for many of the service dog schools. Um, I think it's an ADI-associated program, but they transport puppies to puppy raisers. They transport dogs back in for training. They transport retired dogs back and forth across the country um, if somebody wants to send their dog back to the school, etc. Because right now, under the rules, your trainer can't come and take your dog back to the school for you for whatever reason and go on the airplane. Uh, a lot of airlines overlook it. Some don't. And some trainers have been kicked off flights before. So, you know, it's an issue. And I, I know in my comments, I strongly suggested that, you know, DOT give airlines guidance on how to develop these kind of programs so that trainers can actually transport animals if they need to. And there are ways to do it where, you know, you can get a list of trainers for that particular school. Oh, show me your credentials as a trainer, you know. Our next section, uh, this is where we start seeing some anger-making things, at least for this crew. Uh, the next section is called Health Form. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff says this because he knows how strongly I reacted. Uh here's the premise of the section and then I'll say go and just sit back um <laughs> uh, hey table this is awful I'm trying to read the um 
the regulation and um <laughs> stop it okay here we go carriers <laughs> would be permitted to uh, require service animal handlers to remit a DOT service animal health form as a condition of transportation. Right. So deeper in the weeds of this document, we get a few more details about the, how this proposed health health form would look and who would be asked to fill it out. And if you look, it says that it could be a veterinarian who would fill out the form and attest to whether they're aware of any diseases uh, that the animal has or any health problems that the animal has. All right, go. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we start with this one? Because most of us are just going, no, why? And here's what you have to look at with this health form, because some people think, okay, it's only a health form. I get it once a year from my vet. But read the form, folks. It's completely irrelevant. Service animals, the reason you have the right to take your service animal on an airplane is, one, it's behaving properly, and two, it's healthy. And those things are a moving target. 364 days ago, my dog was great at the vet. Today, not so much. So, you know, it's really an irrelevant form in my mind. We, the state of Hawaii used this argument on us back in the 90s to prohibit service animals from being exempt from the quarantine. You know, well, they could have rabies. There has never been a documented case of rabies in a service animal. If you read <clears throat> the background material for the, the document here that we're talking about, the NPRM, they try to scare people with rabies. I'm sorry, not well, relevant. I can speak from experience with regards to rabies. And... I know that when I was due to fly out from the UK about a month ago, um, just over, they required my dog to have a rabies shot more than 14 days before travel. Yep. So that would have never become an issue anyways. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, most quote-unquote working service animals are going to be, now they may not be up to date on all their shots, but rabies is really the only transmittable disease that they're concerned about and that has to be protected by law. Yeah, Uh, it's required by most municipalities anyway. Absolutely. And Um, so this form, yeah, the form's ridiculous. I'm sorry. And anytime you have a third-party form, you know, You would think veterinarians are above reproach, right? They're vets. They're good people. They like animals. You know what? They are just as susceptible to one of these scammers saying, hey, you know what? We'll give you $1,000 for every person you sign up online and you provide a vet form for. You know, there's no, nobody is saying this is not going to affect them the same way it did mental health professionals who unscrupulously provide these forms. So I'm sorry. It's pointless. Okay, I'm done. I think the other thing you have to look at is for many handlers, this would be a tax, yep. okay, a hidden tax, because I'm going to have to take my dog to the vet, apparently a certain amount of time ahead of this flight, make sure that he has a certificate, and do you think my vet's going to do that for free? I'm thinking no. So you're now adding a burden to me, a financial burden, because I have a guide traveling with me. 
Oh, but don't you know, Jeff, if they look, if you look at the estimated cost, it's supposed to cost like what? $5 extra. Apparently if you average it. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the document. There, there is a section where they explain, and it's the one right after this section where they explain how they calculated all this stuff. And yeah, they say that the time spent is 15 minutes to get the form. Uh, no. um, that doesn't count the transportation time or anything no. like that. Uh, no. You know? More cost. Yeah. It's crazy. And what the doctor's going to charge you for the visit. You got it. Even before and- this legislation came in, there was already expenses attached to traveling with an animal, whether it be assistance dog or not. However, with it being... An assistance dog, there were certain, not quite waivers as such, but certain things you could possibly get away with. Like, for example... Not if you're traveling here in the U.S. So, right, there's no extra cost for traveling domestically in the U.S. with a service animal. Or internationally between the U.S. and Canada. Right. Until now. Until, well, what they want to do now. Well, what they want to do now. Yeah, Let's let's be clear, this, folks. This, None of this is in stone yet. Yes. And the strange part about this one is that you remember in 2018 when they came out with the um, the document that said, yes, airlines can have you fill out all this paperwork. And a lot of organizations, consumer groups said, no, that's a hardship for working service animal handlers. And so they dialed it back and said, oh, it is a hardship. Well, now apparently it's not a hardship anymore. Yeah. Also, so, that makes sense. <laughs> my here are two of my hard concerns here. One, how often do we need to submit this form? Is it every time we fly? Is it yep. is it standardized across airlines? So if I submit the form to Southwest and then I need to yes. fly American, can I? Yes, that is. Yes. yes, that is the best part of this forms stuff, if there is a best part, is that these forms will come out of the DOT. They are standardized and they're to be used and accepted by all airlines. That's the, about the only good thing. Right. But is it is it a national file? So I'm going to have to resubmit depending on the airline, right? Even though it's the same form, I, sh- I would yeah, have to Yeah, it's going to be every flight. To it's good for a year. Yeah, it's good for a year once you get it, but you do need to submit it every time you fly, regardless of airline, unless the airline has something where they can tie it into your reservation or something like that. Stupid. Um, But you will have to submit it. Stupid. And how often do you have to submit it? Like, how much time do you have to... Yeah, how much time you do you have to You can do it right at the airport. You can actually do it right at the airport. In that hour. So, unlike... So, that would be my turn. Yeah, well... Yeah, during your extra hour of check-in time. Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, but my concern, can I just yeah throw something in here? My concern is, yes, it may be good for a year, but if we suddenly have to have an emergency flight home tomorrow to deal with a family emergency or this, that, or the other thing, that's something we else we have to worry about. Right, and yeah. my phone is not done. Yep, yes. and there is language exactly. in there that says that airlines must make exceptions for emergency flights. Yeah, until you get that really officious airline employee. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who didn't get trained properly. Right. Yes, who did not. Because... And, and the training is a big concern, guys, because yeah. I know you all have been asked for, where are your papers? 
It's not yeah. an emotional support animal. Where are your papers? You have to have papers. No. Yeah. yeah. You got to sit in the front of the plane. You got to sit yes. in the bulkhead. Federal law says. Federal no. law says. No. No. Federal law says I can sit where I want, person. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Miss Southwest flight attendant, you came after me before I'd had my morning orange juice. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great woman. <laughs> and then, and well. then Southwest on Twitter, uh, their their representative said, "I I said we typically require this for passenger safety," and I'm like, uh, "No, no, you don't." <laughs> well, actually, that's probably the least safe place you can sit with a service exactly. animal. Exactly. So, because what's the first living being that's going to bounce in the event of turbulence? The Why? one that's not wearing a seatbelt and that's laying with nothing above it. Hello. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, training is a big concern. <laughs> Does anybody else? I know, Leslie, you've been probably trying to get a word in edgewise. We've got a big panel here, uh, so I want to no, make I'm sure fine. everybody has time to to speak. Mike, I do have a question. So my understanding is that uh, vets would also be required to, or we part of this form is that it would also be required to that a vet certify that the dog is well behaved. Yeah, that's coming. That's yep. another section. Okay. That's another, okay, that's another section. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, it's actually, okay. it is I'll on the vet. Yeah. Is it on the vet health It's on the vet health form, oh, yes. God. It is on the vet health form. Oh. No, it is also on the, the personal attestation form, yeah. but it is on the vet health form. Does the animal have a bite history, etc.? And the only way the vets are going to do that is they're going to take what you tell them to exactly. report. The, the AVMA has come out, the American Veterinary Medical Association has come out saying, we don't want to judge behavior. No. They can't. Well, also, because the dog's, my dog is psychotic at the vet. Let's talk about uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. yep. Like, my dog is bouncing all over the place, sniffing everything, licking everything, whining and being mm -hmm. stupid about other dogs because it's the vet. <laughs> um, unless she's, like, deathly ill, in which case I, I saw her that way once. She laid in the lobby and let another, another dog get up in her face. Like, I don't care. Mm. Poor baby. She was very sick. Um, but it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, and as someone, what do we do? So... I, let, let's tell a personal story here. I flew from Ohio on Southwest back to Louisiana. That, that involved two flights and a six-hour Greyhound trip with a dog who had, let's be sorry for the gross here, prolific diarrhea. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. I did absolutely everything in my power. I didn't have a vet, and she, she also the next day started vomiting. Um, it was mm. nasty. It was one of the worst... It was, I, she was as sick as I have ever seen a dog, but the, I did what I could. She wore a relieving belt. She also laid on plastic bags on the aircraft. This poor dog never had an accident in any of the vehicles we were in. Two planes, a bus, a taxi, and my dad's truck. She never got sick in the vehicle itself. Um, Good girl. Poor girl was in severe discomfort the whole time and I had to ask the bus driver uh, on the Greyhound to not to wait for me at a stop where he wouldn't normally. I said, she's got to go. But what do we do in situations where you need to get home to a vet? You don't have a choice. 
And yes, the, you know, right now, the, if your dog's having accidents in the airport, they can ask you to not go on the flight. But technically, yeah. at that point, my dog wasn't healthy, technically speaking. But she needs to get to a vet that knows her and her medical history as well. So what what do we do? If the owners got it under control, I had everything. I was prepared for war. Um, and that's the thing, you know. If you go by the vet form, your dog was perfectly healthy when she was at the vet, and yeah. now she's not. And now and, she's sick. You know what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, things happen. She can't pass that disease to, to humans, but she is sick. And I don't think it's fair to ask a foreign vet or even your own vet that may not know the dog's history to sign that contract that says this dog does or does not have a bite history. This dog does or does not have a disciplinary problem, because if they sign that. And then the dog does bite somebody. Yep. It's not going to happen with one of our guides, okay? Who's oh, wow. The <laughs> They're going to go after that doctor's license. Yep. So yep. if I were the ADMA, yeah, I'm, with, I'm absolutely with them. I wouldn't want to yep. sign that document. No. And then going back to my previous point, you are, let's say you're in a situation like you were, Aaliyah, and you're far away from home, okay? Now let's say, I think when I take uh, my guide to the local vet here, I think it's like 80 bucks. Okay. Now I've got to find an urgent care facility, say in, I don't know, San Diego. All right. And you know, that urgent care facility is not going to be 80 bucks. It's going to be closer to two or 300. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I, like I said, I think this is not a reasonable denial of service, if you will. No, it's a burden. It's, it's, it's a burden. And I have to say for those who are judging me hardcore for flying with a sick dog, um, that we did everything in our power to take care of her. Um, she, was better off going back to Louisiana and she was at the vet the next morning. Um, and your dog can get sick in a heartbeat. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, it, she it was... can happen that day at the gate at the gate. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And Southwest was phenomenal. They didn't have to let us on that flight because she did actually go in, in what she was wearing in front of, in front of the gate, gate agent on, um, oh. in, in, yeah. Mm -hmm. They asked the oh, pilot. Wow. The pilot Wait said, go ahead. Um, and I have to say that Southwest was the absolute best. And we did everything in our power to keep her clean, keep her comfortable. And it was a it was the worst possible day for her to be that sick. But there was nothing I could do. And, you know, it's it's the hard reality sometimes of traveling with a service animal. You know, I had modium in my bag and she got one and that helped but and this is something too folks that be sure to put in your comments because i think part of the reason that things have escalated to the point that they have is that the airlines are not expecting number one and then demanding number two for people to you know take steps to prevent these things or yeah. to deal with them you know a lot of the folks who have entitlement issues or whatever, and it can be a service dog team, too. It's not reserved for just emotional support animal people. But, you know, well, I don't have to clean that up. I don't have to stop my dog from making noise in the gate area. No, you know what? Most of us with service animals do that because that's part of our responsibility. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and give people the chance to do that. And if they make absolutely no effort, then, yeah, sure, you know. But you were making every effort in the world, Aaliyah, as would most of us. Yeah. And, and you know, I I asked the gate agent in Chicago, I said, you know, can you get me? And they got me a couple of big black trash bags just to lay underneath mm -hmm. her 
on the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Yet, if she did get sick, she was going to get sick in the trash bags, and then it was just going to be a matter of picking it up. That's it. And, you know, we made every preparation possible for her. And it 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 was miserable i will tell you but it was the worst flight experience i ever had and i still said to this day the chicago midway airport staff if they had seen me again we're gonna go no 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 (laughs) but (laughs) because they ran me to the relief area literally um with her they knew she was sick they called ahead at least you can find it in midway yeah (laughs) atlanta anyway hair <laughs> mm-hmm. never been there but you know um it was it was hard but what do we do you know in situations like that mm-hmm. and hey, speaking of do, relieving right? you know it, you've got another form here that you could potentially uh, uh, have uh, to uh. fill out which yes. again is probably one of the most inane forms ever and was spawned by irresponsible people yeah And this is the um, relief attestation form. If you are on a flight of eight hours or more, so this is flying from Chicago to Honolulu, from Alaska to anywhere, um, (laughs) uh, well, not quite anywhere, but pretty close, um, you know, if you're on this flight, then you have to provide the airlines with this form that is going to explain how you will take care of your dog's toileting. And if it has an accident on the plane, what steps are you prepared to take? Now, this came about because it was something the foreign carriers have been allowed to do for many years, and the domestic airlines started requiring it because of untrained, untrained animals. I'm animals. not going to say emotional support animals, but untrained animals in general yeah. relieving on flights. Yeah, I yeah. This is this is and and this is kind of we we skipped over the the training and attestation, but training attestation, but we'll talk about this. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Okay, it follows the the topic we're talking about. Like, if if I am a responsible handler, duh, I'm going to have stuff with me. I'm going to have bags. I'm going to have possibly trained my dog to go on a puppy pad. Um, Mine would look at me like I had three heads, but there you go. (laughs) You know, or we do things like limit food and water intake prior to the flight. Not cruel, people. It is called management. Uh, your dog can live without food for one feeding if it needs to. Um, mine does when I fly in the mornings. Absolutely. She, she can't eat that morning, period. Um, and how are you supposed to answer that form? I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah. You know? Basically, uh, how, how exactly, exactly the way Aaliyah just did. Um, that's it. Just exactly the way she just did. You know, here's what I do. And by the way, I will have cleanup supplies with me, you know. That's pretty much how you do it. Um, I had to do that when I went to Australia, actually, um, for traveling within Australia. And then they gave me a seat in bulkhead with a seat to myself and a puppy pad. (laughs) Like, wow. Yeah, my dog thought it was the greatest bed ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to sleep on this thing. Yeah. Yes. Crazy making. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy making. But yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, it's totally nonsensical. We go, we go back, it seems, every time to behavior. Is the animal behaving like it should? And is the handler behaving like they should if they've been trained or knows how to interact with, with their service animal and knows these things? We're going back to common sense. 
Yes. And sure, there are going to be a few quote-unquote fakes that slip through the cracks. Absolutely. But for the most part, no. If the airlines take advantage, and frankly here, if the airlines had taken advantage of the remedies they had, we wouldn't be in this spot in the first place. But if, you know... Uh, it's a lot of victim blaming in in many of the regulations that were proposed. So yeah, this is a lot of us giving more and more and more, and the airlines taking responsibility for less. Does anybody else have any comments on this section? I'd like to uh, move us on to the next one. All right, so let's talk a bit about the personal attestation of behavior and training form. So. This is another form from the DOT that says, essentially, I certify that my dog is not going to bite somebody's face off. Okay, that's oversimplified, but it, it's an, it's another needless certification of common sense. This is, I guess, here's the thing that was stated later in the document. They believe that presenting you with all of these forms at the airport will be a deterrent for people who would like to pass their pets off as service animals because they think that lying on a federal form is a deterrent for these people who would who would fake anyway. And the threat of a fine or the threat of, of perjury, whatever. I, I don't think this is going to help. Um, it's only going to deter people if they take them to... You know, through the legal system. Right. And the airlines had case after case after case that they were happy to tell us about in the regneg. And I kept saying, so what did you do about it? Did you ban the person from flying? What did you do? Did you take them to court for perjury or whatever? No. Hear those crickets? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, okay, this is, I'm going to take a point of view. I usually agree with you all about this, but I'm going to take a point of view here that might be a little different. I'd like to point out the fact that this is the first time that I, the handler, am attesting to my behavior slash the dog's behavior. And it is on a federal form. And I do think that my, I mean, the other, the other two are, are tax. They're just basically, you know, there's just no way they can work. This one, I am attesting the fact. So if I am an owner trainer, or if I am uh, um, a a trainer going back to the school, I am attesting that I am prepared to handle that dog, and that dog will be well-behaved under me. See, I disagree. I I guess I I don't have a problem with that. I think you're attesting to the service animal's behavior and training when you elect to take it on an airplane that goes 35,000 feet above the ground. But where does that training come from? Okay, yes, the school. But let's face it, every day we travel with our guides. We are responsible for maintaining that training and maintaining good boundaries and what we expect out of our perfect guides. We're responsible for making sure that's going to happen. Now, how that behavior is defined by the airline, that I think is more gray. In other words, does your dog promise not to shake at all? You know, shake his head. Will your dog promise not to make any vocalizations? Well, I'm in trouble on that one, right? I mean, you just cannot. I think it's time to put some of the power back into, give the airline something to say, yeah, I, the trainer, I, the handler, am going to be responsible for that animal. And And Jeff, 
This is exactly, you're parroting exactly why this form I'm okay with. There are a couple aspects of it I'm not okay with, but it is a not a third party telling the airline. And this is where the regnet got hung up because most of this language was what we actually proposed for if the airlines had to have a form, all right, have the individual person attest to it. And that way you take that person to court. Well, the airline said, but how do you know if you have a disability? I could just say, I have a disability. And I said, yeah, you could. And, you know, who am I to say you don't? Right. Because disability, you it's it's not just perception. If you look at the definition under the ADA, it's not just perceived yep. to be having a disability. It's diagnosed. It's um, it's mm-hmm. there. There are three prongs to it. And so I am OK with it, provided some of this other baggage doesn't come along with it. Yeah. I think that's the, the problem. The one thing that you really should be leery of is that all of these forms have your personal information right up at the top of them. Mm-hmm. And oh, yes. right now, yes, you are submitting them to the airlines electronically, possibly. Uh, well, you will be because they're required to be able to do that. But you're also possibly submitting paper copies at the airport. What do they do with them? Yeah. How are they protecting your information? Absolutely. This what does that information include, Janine? Pardon me? What does that information include? That is uh, name, address, telephone number, and email, I believe. <sighs> Ouch. And that goes at the top of the form. So, yeah, do you want all of that? Um, We know from the regneg that the airlines actually said, because we asked, so what did you do with all of those doctor's letters for the psychiatric service animals? Oh, we threw them away. Oh, well, we have about 20,000 of them in a pile somewhere. No HIPAA protection. And those things were, you know, under HIPAA because they had diagnostic codes on them. And so, you know, this is something that you should comment on and worry about. Okay, you know what? I'll I'll fill out the form. I'll check the boxes. I have no problem with that. What are you going to do with it? Is that going to go under somebody's desk? Where is that going to go? How is my information protected? And that's something because you are acknowledging disability and there are there are creepy people out there. (laughs) You know, this is something to be concerned about. Yeah. I mean, they can't even keep track of my bag when I fly from Thank here to Thank you. New York. <laughs> and I'm going to be expecting to have them keep track of my personal information several times over right. a year. And, you know. Know, they, and they have that personal information already within their system, yes, but it's protected behind a firewall of, you know, yeah, that's with my airline ticket. Yeah, that's under some sort of security within the airline. That's not a piece of paper flipping around out there. Yeah. Ugh, that's, it's just disturbing. It's this is this is so hard. these are some things to think about when you're thinking about these forms. Good spot there. Thank you. All right. Our next one is a little less meaty. Um, we're talking about number of service animals. Um, carriers okay. would be permitted to limit the number of service animals per passenger to two. And so this is something that I'm actually I'm OK with. Look, you've got a very small space when you're thinking about. Where, and we're going to talk, touch on this later, uh, where does the animal go? If you've got two larger service animals, there is an individual, I believe, that had that I've seen that has two large service animals. We're talking German Shepherds sized. Where are you going to put them both? Especially on a tiny aircraft. And so I think... I don't think this is a problem. Yeah, I, I don't see this as an issue at all, personally. I think two is, <clears throat> is plenty. 
So you may have an animal that's trained to guide and another that's trained for, I don't know, diabetic alert. They Two very different tasks. One animal typically will be smaller. But I'm okay with this. This doesn't bother me. Does anybody else have thoughts on this? I guess I um, yeah, I can understand. I think you're right. Because I was trying to picture a circumstance where somebody might have two animals. But I think you provided a perfect one there of, let's say, a guide and a diabetic alert animal. I can't imagine, much like the miniature horses we talked about earlier, I would also be interested in seeing the statistics of how many people travel with two or more uh, guy, how many people want to push that beyond two? You would be surprised, Jeff. What we heard during the Ragnick was that there are a certain class of people who participate in dog shows, and their dogs magically become emotional support animals. And there was someone, and I cannot imagine this, they had six boxers. Boxers <gasps> are not small dogs, okay? Oh, wow. You know, God. Uh, used to be used as guides a lot. I can't imagine, first of all, having six boxers anywhere together who aren't, like, bouncing off the wall. But <laughs> oh, okay. my um, But not, this would be a flight of, seats. yeah, not just one person, <laughs> but a number of people going to these dog shows that do this. And, you know, that was one of those where, like, hey, airline, you don't have to put up with that, you know? No, they don't. Why are you, no, yeah, why don't. are you allowing that? You know, legitimately, I think two is two is cool. Typically, what DOT said when they got these complaints was that they would stop at three. Even though the law says you can have more than three, they stopped at three. They thought three was reasonable. We all who commented on the ANPRM said, look, two, two is reasonable. You know, it's a control issue. Can you control three animals? No way. Personally, no. I can't. Yeah, Depends. no. I have a but hard still, time controlling me, two dogs. Space. If I was going to say, if you count my spouse, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, the, the this this seems good. This seems overall yeah, aimed I'm at controlling okay the crap. I agree. Yeah, I think you know. Again, and you listen to your story, Janine. You know, I'm thinking of this person traveling to a dog show with their six boxers and i i don't think there's any legitimate way you could say they were all that person's emotional support animals maybe she was providing emotional support to those animals but there is no way that you could say all those dogs were performing a service yep for that person (laughs) and that person absolutely could not fly without all six of them you know it was a clear fraudulent violation but because the airlines didn't really do anything about it, it became something that the dog show people did. And, of course, not all dog show people do it. Not, no. It's just a certain group. And there are people who do it with rescue animals, too. Jeez. Which is so sad, because rescue animals are probably the most traumatized, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, when they're being brought to the U.S. from other places and things like that. It's just it's awful. That's shameful. And you just want to shake people for doing that stuff there was a guy on a flight that i was on once that had three mm-hmm. and three three and he said that he had he admitted okay and i told him i was like you need to keep your dogs away from my dog period because she's been attacked on a plane before and he straight up said to somebody else that his dogs were not service animals they lived with him in his motor home and he was traveling with them as esas because he could mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just 
gritted my teeth. And of course, when he comes off the plane, here comes one of his dogs because he can't control all three into the row with my dog. And I frankly start, I like, this is the only time I've ever cursed at someone I did not know well. I said, get your effing dog out of my dog's face now. And because I was so mad at (laughs) this guy for the crap that he pulled. Like, I I did. I I lost it a little bit. But, you know, I was was upset. Really upset about it. You had told him, too. Yeah, I had warned him. I'd said, keep your dogs back. Because and the airline needs to take some responsibility at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. If you have a passenger that's causing you know, air rage, if you have a passenger that is disrupting a flight, if you have a passenger who's saying under this new regulation, huh, yeah, I told them that my emotional support animals, but <laughs> they just live with me my motor home. I think if a flight attendant hears that report, that needs to be treated as a federal crime. Absolutely. And look, Agreed. I mean – this, this guy's dogs were crying the whole flight. It was clear they were not service animals of any kind because they were noisy the entire flight. And like, that's that's one thing that, that I found concerning overall, even not necessarily just in airports, is the number of people who are registering their dogs as emotional support animals and who are just blatant about saying they're not really. I just do it because I can. Yeah. Yep. And until businesses and, you know, begin cracking down on behavior. And unfortunately, you know, some of us might get caught in that web. (laughs) And I've had a dog. Jeff is very familiar with my Molly, uh, who (laughs) had some issues. (laughs) And, you know, um, she had some fear-based aggression issues. She had some noise issues, whatnot. And that led to her retirement. But there are people with dogs like that who wouldn't even think about, you know, just, yeah, that's my dog and it's my emotional support. And until a business says, no, no, you're gone. I don't care if it's a service animal. And we've all been to convention, at least I hope everybody here has been to convention. And you see behavior, even sometimes from your own dog, that you never see anywhere else. (laughs) And you just go, oh, man. Uh, (laughs) Dog walking down the hallway. end of the week. Yeah. Dog sees other dog. (laughs) Dog goes, ruff. Uh, Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe a dog who really should not be working or whatever because of age or injury or whatever is taken to the convention and snaps at other dogs. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been there, been on the other end of that, then it's not or, fun on either end. No, and people, because yeah. it's been stepped on 15, yeah. 20 times. You got it. Yep. Day, because yeah. somebody can't yeah. be bothered to keep it out of the aisle. Sorry. Yes, Come. exactly. Yeah. And it, it's a hard thing. And I, and I think, you know, until I, all of us here care, you know, and it affects us, and we know that it can affect our access. But until those people who are just so blithe about it get the message that, no, I don't care if it's a service animal, it's out. And you get know. fined if they lie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Get fined. Get does that fine. mean service animals have to be robots? No. No. We have to be really not. careful about that. But, you know, still, business community, you got to help us here. The law yeah. well, and, and the I ADA. And the... Go ahead, Leslie. I understand a business's fear of stepping across a line they, they're not supposed to step across. And that, that kind of goes back to employee and staff training. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get the fear of being afraid to say something if a dog is misbehaving because it's, it's 
appears to be a service animal, but they should have reasonable expectations of any service animal's behavior when it comes into their public business. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, yep. the law says if the service animal is misbehaving and the handler does not take effective action to control it. Yep. So my dog barks. I correct my dog. My dog stops barking. That's fine. Mm -hmm. If my dog barks, I sit there and go, oh, how cute, and don't do anything. Bye-bye. Or... I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, you that's do. what the law says, and that's how it should be, but unfortunately it's not. We got on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's important <laughs> to to talk about. Oh, yeah. Both service animals would be required under this two-service animal provision to fit either on the handler's lap or in their foot space. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Until we get to this next one, large service animals. Ambiguous anybody. All right. Are you prepared for a Janine rant? Uh-huh. I'll say go again. I'll say go again. Okay. Okay. Can so, define a large service animal. Thank you. Yeah. Please. The, okay, so here's the, the regulation. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me brief the... Go ahead and read the regulation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Carriers would be permitted to require a service animal to fit within its handler's foot space on the aircraft. Oh, boy. Embraer Regional Jet. <clears throat> That's our that's our regulation here. Now go. Go, Janine, go. Okay, so if you read the supporting documentation surrounding this particular item, you will see that Labradors, Golden Retrievers, and German Shepherds are classed as quote-unquote large service animals by this yes. particular <sighs> thought throughout the, from the DOT. Now, uh... here's my reasoning on this one. Because service animal, that big old category right now, includes ESAs, who are oftentimes little dogs. The average size of a service animal is, you know, like a mid-sized dog, maybe not as big as our dogs. Now, if you discount and you take out emotional support animals, there aren't that many small actual working service animals out there. There are some, but there aren't that many, and so the average size shifts into, you know, the, the point where our dogs that are the goldens and the, you know, the 50 to 75 pounders, that becomes average, right? If you think of it with common sense. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way this is being portrayed. And there is a question about whether airlines should allow an empty seat beside the person with the service animal well, yeah, that's nice when they do it. That's great. They do it often as can. a courtesy. Yeah, it's great. I wouldn't put it in the law because then, you know what happens? Oh, we don't have room for you and your dog on this flight. I'm sorry. You're going to have to take a later flight. Exactly. No. <sighs> no. You know, make it a best practice. That's a nice thing to do. However, you know, um, and stop trying to tell people where we can sit. Um, let us pre-board and figure that out ourselves. Thank you. Unless um, our seat's been assigned so, so many, by an airline. So many things. Yeah. But, and other things you need to know, which, you know, please put it in. If you've ever ridden on a plane where the entertainment system electronics are under the seat, that yes. just took up half of that space under the seat. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. a friend who has a 45-pound lab, little, cute, you know, super high-drive lab. 
and she had a complaint against an airline because the airline said her dog was out of control because it was trying to figure out the rope maze, and they were going, over here, over the, no, no, that way, no, and the dog was trying to figure it out. Well, the airline said the dog wasn't well-trained, and then the dog was an extremely large service animal that couldn't fit under the seat. And it turned out, you know, she had the entertainment system under the seat. So this 45-pound lab really didn't have any space under the. But she was a large service animal. So if you guys are looking at this particular reg to comment on, be sure to um, bring some reality to this whole size discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I think you okay, also rant over. <laughs> no, no. Rants are definitely not over. There Jeff's are like, people. my turn. Go, Jeff, go. <laughs> There are people who travel with larger guides because yes. that is the type of guide that fits their handling needs best. I myself travel with a 72-pound shepherd. All right? That's a bit bigger than your 45-pound uh, yep. pocket golden lap. Okay? So can you imagine if the 45-pound golden door was not going to fit under that seat? How in the world... Am I going to stuff 70 pounds, 27 inches of dog completely under that seat? Bingo. And now, then we go to the opposite side where they say, well, you have to sit in the bulkhead. Okay. Then we run into the problem with another regulation on this NPRM, and that being um, your dog cannot encroach on another passenger's space. All right. So if I'm down the bulkhead, there's no seat for me to shove my dog underneath, so I'm going to lay the dog out in front of me. And there is no question that that dog is longer than my seat is wide, and he will be in another passenger space. So I guess I see why the airlines are, are asking for this, but you run into a rule of impossibility. And that's my concern about this rule. Okay, that's right. Over. Yay, Jeff. And in practice, you know, unless, again, you get that overly officious flight attendant, Usually it works out, but, you know, uh, and by the way, there is nothing in this in this rule that states anything about bulkhead. Um, the ACAA says that you may sit in your seat of choice or if you need more space, the airline can look at moving you within the class of service. Unless you absolutely can't be seated there, then they can look other places or refuse, you know, or put you on another flight free uh, to transport or you can transport your animal in the cargo cabin. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. no. Now, there are some people who may. You know, there are some people who may be forced to do that um, if they have a super large service animal that they need for balance, like a mastiff or something. And there are people who have them. But that's the real outlier. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is let's let's make sure that the average size is not classed as large, just like Jeff said. You know, so let's reset that thinking a little bit. And yeah, I mean, seating is going to be difficult especially when the the configuration of the cabins are being like you know configured to fit the most amount of people in the least amount of space mm -hmm. something's got to give at some point i'm surprised someone hasn't gone completely out on an airplane because of how tightly people are jammed in I, you know yeah like so for me I've i fly southwest on my flight to london recently yeah mm. i fly because, south um there Sorry. is not room for us no, sit hardly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have foot space for us, much yep. less trying to fit any 
size service animal in that space. Sure. And that's not something we as service animal handlers have any effect on at all. And so don't punish us for that particular thing. I'm sounding really argumentative, but this one really got me. The whole size thing really just, it was like, no, 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 no. Because you airlines don't even have a good understanding of the size of a service animal if you're calling a 45 pound lab large okay (laughs) just not even close yeah Yeah, not even close well janine did you ever see marion guazdala's uh shepherd that he had last night sarge yes Uh you see sarge oh yeah could you you see sarge following this particular (laughs) rule now you know i mean some of these dogs like my husband had a big old 90 pound golden was his first dog that dog could curl up under any seat so you know, sometimes, and sometimes you have like a taller, larger person too. And so you've got both that you've got to make space for. And that's not, you know, this is not easy. And it's something that I don't like being punished for either. No. Agreed. No. And, and like for me, my, my particular dog, my current dog is tiny. Okay. 50 pounds, 20 (laughs) inches. She's a little tiny thing, but I don't, Particularly one of the things I think I'm going to ask seeing eye next time is for a slightly taller dog. Because honestly, I feel like I can't manage her as well because she's shorter. Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. And I I would much prefer the 24-inch tall <laughs> yellow lab that I had at first because he was much easier mm-hmm. to feel when the head was dropping to the ground. The head was yep. swiveling on. And a- my husband's going the other way with his dog. He said, look, I've had the big, you know, 75 pound goldens now for a while. I need a smaller one. Can I have a smaller one? It's easier to fit in places and it can still do some of the balance help that I need, you know, in the way that I need it. But I need it to be able to fit in places because this is crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, a, it's a touchy one for folks. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen some tiny shepherds, 19 inches tall or whatever, like, but Aww. yeah, little baby shepherd. But um, <laughs> realistically, shepherds and goldens don't really get that short. <laughs> um, I've got a 23 inch one now. He he tucks away nicely when he feels like it. When but, he feels like you it, know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Yes. <laughs> Well, yes. even my that dog, is my fifty-five golden <laughs> My my fifty-pound dog has gotten in someone's foot space before, and oh yeah, and and I have apologized profusely and shoved her back where she belongs. But sometimes it's not controllable, and I actually did have someone with my first dog who was a bit taller who didn't like the fact that yeah, his legs. I was on a uh, United flight, I think, or a Delta flight. It was a smallish plane. And his legs couldn't all get up underneath that seat for four and a half hours. And so the person next to me actually ended up moving. And I'm like, fine, you move. Um, Because I don't want to deal with you if you're going to be that upset about it. Um, Because it was literally his feet. It wasn't his head or the rest of him. It was his feet. Well, but that. And by the way, airlines, please don't give people like free drinks because they had to move because of the service dog. Right. Um, No. No. Right. That's inappropriate. And and don't give them free drinks because they had to sit by the service dog. Yeah. 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 And can we. uh, So that goes to if we can't expect a person to fold themselves into a pretzel for an eight hour flight and not move can we we can't reasonably expect our service animals to comfortably do that either 
Yep. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that needs to be stated. we want them to be able to get up and walk yep. around when it's time to get off the flight. Yep. And I think that needs to be absolutely stated. Especially older dogs. Look, you've got service animals working mm-hmm. at eight, nine years old who are starting to have some stiff joints like an older human. You <laughs> cannot expect them to yep. lay still. They need yep. to be able to stand and stretch. They need to be able to do those things that will keep them from being yelping in pain when they get off the plane. Or at least, you know, move around under the seat a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the good fortune of having people who don't mind my dog going into their foot space. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I do my best to keep her in my foot space. But, or my previous dog, who was a little bit bigger, but I still do try to keep her under my seat in front yeah. of me. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard with her frog legs. She literally has her back <laughs> legs out like a frog. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I had one like hard, that. But yeah. You know, you got to make the dog comfortable and you got to make other people comfortable. It's hard, but. But then that comes down to us again as the handler. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, if, I, if, I'm on a, if I'm on a tight aircraft, you know, they've got, and there's. You know, let's use let's use uh, Aaliyah's Embraer or Delta Dash Eight. You know, and somebody sits down. It's a full flight. Somebody sits down next to me. I will say, listen, I, I I hope a dog next to you is okay. I will introduce myself, introduce my guide, and just you know try to open up a a, a line of diplomacy, if you will. Absolutely, so I do it on it every does, single flight. <laughs> Yes, I yes, do as well. Absolutely. And usually I find myself, you know, having the opportunity to educate the public about these wonderful guides yeah. and what they exactly. do for us. And yeah. all of a sudden yeah. it's like I got a great conversation going. So I think it comes, again comes down to us as, as the handler to a certain extent. And that's the average, you know, I think most of us do. Unfortunately, what do you hear about? You hear about the entitled folks whose dog of a suspect training, you know, whatever. It could be an ESA, could be a service dog. Oh, it sprawled all over me during the flight, blah, blah, blah. I like dogs, but blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, ah, with great rights come great responsibilities, Absolutely. folks. Well, yes. and just yes. saying. My first dog used to be terrified of takeoff on, on for whatever reason. He eventually settled in. But he <laughs> would, when the plane took off, stand up and try to get out to the aisle. That included jumping in a gentleman's lap once. Oh, nice. no. Oh. oh. It was oh, yes. so hard to balance correcting the behavior and not damaging the poor dog because he was scared. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, dude, lay down. But still, I had asked the guy before we flew, I said, hey, look, um, are you okay with dogs? And are you really okay with dogs? Because he's scared of takeoff. It just, it's something I'm working on with him, and eventually he will quit, but he's going to try to get out. <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah, sure, it's fine. I said, he may put his paws in your lap. He may. And and he did. And it was fine. It was embarrassing. But, you know, it was something that I started the conversation. And the guy was like, yeah, I'm okay with it. I'll help mm-hmm. you get him back down if he decides to get up see there you go and yeah there you go. and the guy did he he helped me push him back and get him back under the seat and once dallas did that he was done like he was fine for the rest of the flight he just had to have his oh my god moment 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I me. I have to have my, oh, I'm taking off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't it's like watched too many episodes of Air Disasters. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me anywhere near that show. Don't let me watch that show. No, 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 no. You're bad enough. Hey. Hey. Outside influence. <laughs> um, nobody on this show has actually been on a plane with me. They've only heard horror stories. <laughs> Nobody's volunteered to go to play with you either. I have actually volunteered, (laughs) but I just haven't had the opportunity. Right. (laughs) Okay. I've heard credible. I've heard stories from credible people, so I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our next section is control of service animals. This one, it's a little got a little gray in it for me, but I'm mostly okay with this. Carriers would be permitted to require that a service animal will be harnessed, leashed, tethered, or otherwise under the control of its handler. The only gray I have is, and and this was a question that some people had in these guide dog groups, does that mean that my dog is required to be in harness during the flight? No. No, no. there's an or. Yeah, an there's an or here, yeah. and that's what I'm kind of thinking. Yes. But again, this boils yeah. down and to this... training. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that language comes directly from the ADA. You may see, you may say, wow, that looks familiar. It comes mm-hmm. right from the ADA. And they can be under voice control only if doing so is related to the task that they're performing. Say they're doing a distance retrieve. My phone goes across the, I actually saw a service dog do this once. Guys at TSA, he drops his phone. The dog, he releases him to go get the phone. The dog like shoots across the TSA thing, grabs the phone and comes back. That's what he's supposed to do. Awesome. Yeah, everybody clapped. It was cool. <laughs> like, oh, wow, <laughs> that was nice. Uh, but then he was, you know, right next to him on leash again. Um, this one is is kind of a no-brainer but again airlines you have to enforce it i don't want to hear stories about dogs running up and down the aisles because you're not enforcing it yeah you know and my other concern only and it's a minor concern how many of us have heard well that's not a service animal it's not wearing a vest anybody heard that yes yeah Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm so, you know, Never. again, that's a matter of training for airline and airport staff. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, know, but generally, this is a good idea. Yeah. Generally speaking, like, I've been given dirty looks by flight attendants because I take my big, bulky seeing eye harness off my dog yeah. on the aircraft. And she's still leashed. <laughs> but by golly, I'm not going to ask my dog to lay in that thing for four hours on a flight. Yeah. Come on. Not, not, to, not mention, to mention with that harness on. It's even harder to get under that little space under the seat. Yes, right. You got it. <laughs> and, and I've had I've had them question. Oh, the will they go under the seat? Yeah, watch. Pop the harness off. <gasps> you did not just mm-hmm. do that. And then she walks into the into the row, puts her little self mm-hmm. under the seat, and curls up in a ball. Like yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows exactly where she's supposed to go. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to cause us any more issue than it does currently this particular regulation now, i think some of us would love to see like a prohibition on the 20 zillion foot flexi lead uh, but um yes. <laughs> again oh, that's looking yeah i mean that's looking again at behavior and is that really required for disability mitigation no it's not in, in like everything but like distance kinds of tasks which there aren't that many of them gang 
I, as a trainer, I would like to see a ban on those no. just as a general principle. Well, yes, I, I, I agree. hate those things. I agree. I agree there. Yeah. I own one, but its only purpose was when I was at my last apartment and there was a little courtyard out in front of the house to allow my dog to run and grab a ball. That and I, that's so what that they're, that's what they're like designed for. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she was and still there are in some my folks who Yeah, there are some folks who have to use those with the wheelchair, but they also restrict the length, too. Yeah, they're not absolutely. the 15, 20-foot ones. They're using like six feet of it, you know, to allow the dog to move freely. But, yeah. That's uh, and we talked about that at the Regnag, and DOT felt that was getting a little <coughs> too specific, which may be the case because look, we can barely train the airline folks to do what they do now. So <laughs> that's very true. Mm -hmm. All right, we're getting close to the end here, guys. Service animal breed or type. <laughs> uh oh. Carriers would be permitted or or prohibited from refusing to transport a service animal. Based solely on breed or generalized physical type as distinct from an individualized assessment of animals' behavior and health. Okay, this I personally think is good um, as far as the airlines are not going to be permitted to say, this is a pit bull, it can't fly. <laughs> yep, no Delta pit bull ban. <clears throat> Bad Delta. Uh, Southwest, That's a I vicious think. vicious German shepherd. No. I think Southwest <laughs> yep. has one, too, I think. Um, they did. I think they got rid of it. Now, what they did may they really? have, what they may have is a ban on brachiocephalic breeds, which are like your boxers and your um, bulldogs. bulldogs and your French bull, the ones with the really short snouts. Yep. And that's mostly for cargo, though. I don't know if Southwest has that for cabin, but, you know, and it's because they tend to suffocate yeah. in cargo, which is pretty awful. Um, but terrible, you know, um, because yeah. they can't get enough yeah. air because they're already stressed enough. Mm -hmm. and then there's... You got it. You got it. And then there are, you know, there's the whole argument of you can't pin something on a breed. You have to make individual behavior you know, assessments in the moment, not, oh, that looks like a pit bull. We had a pit bull bite somebody's face off on a flight once, which is Delta's <laughs> argument. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it, yeah, I won't even get into if you read the notes of the case, they had every right to ask that person to remove the dog before the plane took off yes. and before the other person got in the seat. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. And as a result, this other guy got mauled. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, there's Delta some learning to go do on. their due diligence. No, they did not. And as someone who was asked if their first dog, a caramel-colored yellow lab, was a pit bull, okay, we can't be having these things. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was asked if Dallas was a pit bull. <laughs> I was asked that of my first dog, but she kind of had a pit look to her. She was a black lab, and she had little short ears, and she kind of was out there a little bit. She was a little street dog. And, yeah, uh, yeah so, uh, okay, but, yeah. And, you know, Jeff, you made a good point about the Shepherds and the Dobermans, and a lot of people do use the pit breeds partially because they've got nice short hair, and you yeah. don't have to worry about that. And they are very trainable you know, or can be if done correctly. And so, you know, this whole breed ban thing. And if you read the, again, the supporting documentation, you will just shake your head and say, 
nice influencing there. You know, it's very clear because, you know, pit bull breeds have stronger jaws. And therefore, have you tried to get something out of a golden retriever's mouth? <laughs> just saying. Or a lab just saying. or anything. Yeah. yeah. Hold the door. <laughs> Any dog sure. that wants to hold on to something yep. very He's going to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Check-in requirements. Okay. Oh. Oh, sorry. Do you hear hey. the rants revving up? <laughs> and as my Mac doesn't want to deal with this, it just jumped to a different part of the document. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm trying to get back. Good choice, Mac. <laughs> You're going to end up dubbing these in. You know that. <laughs> So while you're trying to get back, can I just add as why can we say we had a pit bull do this on a flight once? Therefore, we can ban all pit bulls when we can't say we had a person misbehave on a flight once. Therefore, we ban all people. Oh, I love it. I love it. Leslie, that's awesome. Yes. Hey, I I had a child throw up on me on a flight once. Can we ban children from flights? Yes, please. I'm okay with that regulation. You know, nobody under the age of, say, 18 gets to fly. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> Especially not by themselves, right? Right. That that would right. have made my last flight so much more pleasant when I was on a plane for eleven <laughs> hours with a bless her heart screaming oh, miserable child, and I, oh, I felt so bad for them. But Benadryl. even the noise canceling headphones didn't block it out. <laughs> oh. oh my god! I'm sorry. That's when you just go, hey, you know, I have some Benadryl in my purse. If that'll help. <laughs> I I think they tried. She so bad. Bless her. The minute she woke up, she was screaming, and she would scream until she fell asleep again. And I just felt I felt horrible for the family. And but Mm -hmm. it it was an overnight flight, and (laughs) it was bad. Oh my gosh! Why can't you put the child in cargo? You want to put my dog down there? All right, I'm gonna put a leash on you guys because this regulation is gonna make you um, make you scream and and want to rant and rave. But I'm, I'm gonna have to maybe a muzzle then. I'm gonna have to do the. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read the reg and then say go and then be nice, everybody. Um, okay. Oh. Carriers that require a passenger with a disability to check in at the airport prior to the travel time required for the general public would be required to make an employee available promptly to assist the passenger with the check-in process. Three, two, one, go. Everybody's just where like, do we start? Where do we start with this yeah, one? That's the um, problem. Where do we start? Again, with the 2018 enforcement rule, basically they said, look, you can't prevent people from checking in online. You can't prevent people from doing that. You can't force them to go to the ticket counter, unless, of course, they're an ESA or psychiatric service animal handler. You can't force. Well, now it's okay to force this all because... And this reg goes on to state 
that um, we must be there and be observed for up to an hour to determine the behavior of our animals before they go. even get to the gate. There's yep. my problem right now. Yep. Here we go. Yep. Who okay, is yep. determining yes. Who's behavior? observing and what are they observing? Well, now, according to the rule, these are going to be specially trained airline <gasps> people. <laughs> Thank you. That was a very appropriate, if not incredibly painful noise. Yes. <laughs> um, dog yes. behaviorists? I mean, are they going to hire yes. a service animal ha- behaviorist yes. for every airport they serve? Because, uh, no. No. Uh, yeah, I don't no. think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to make an mm-hmm. airport employee watch a video. Yes. Yep. There you go. They'll yeah. be watching or, a video. And, or read you a video. Like. Yes. And you're going to end up, you know, my big concern is, okay, it, remember the special services room? Anybody ever been uh, confined the to the special services jail. room? Uh, Blindy oh. jail. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there will probably be a special special services room for no. the animals. But, you know, that, and that's the thing you want to comment on and say, you know, I have been literally confined to the, the special services room because if I leave there or if I try to get assistance, which I'm supposed to under the law be able to have, no, no, you can't leave here. You know, we but have everything have you to, need in here. But I have to go to the yeah. bathroom. Where's my relief area? And I want food. Well, we right? have a bathroom in the special services room. You know? Do you have a restaurant but, in the special services room? Because I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll go there if you have food. There's a yeah. snack machine with one candy bar in it. One yeah. That, yes. Whose expiration yes. date well, was 20 years before today. <laughs> yes. Now, what, what they don't specify and what you might want to comment on them specifying is, what do they mean by check-in time? Do they mean suggested check-in time, which is, you know, varies between an hour to three hours before your flight, depending on the airport? Or do they mean the latest time you can get there and check in to get on your plane? What do they mean? Please specify, DOT. Thank you. Also, okay. it, it doesn't um, matter what they mean because none of it's fair. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, <laughs> we talk about not discriminating against a passenger based on their disability. What are we doing here? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And imagine you're going with a tour group. Oh, great. We all get to the airport. Oh, now we all have to wait for, you know, Aaliyah and because she's got to be here way early or your family. You know, imagine how that puts fun on a family vacation. Yeah. And um, if you want to curtail relieving problems in the airport, making me get there an hour yes. early is not the Thank way you. to do it. Yep. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. I would, you want to limit the amount of time your animal has to be stuck in the airport mm-hmm. on the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not make it longer. I want to go back to this, quote, trained personnel, which is why I barked earlier. Okay. I want to go back to to this trained personnel. So let's imagine that my flight is, let's say, I don't know, 6.15 in the morning. Okay. Well, the check-in time required for 6.15 domestic flight, or not required, but suggested, as Janine pointed out, mm-hmm. is two hours. We are now at 4.15. Now, we need to add an extra hour for me and my guide to be observed. Okay. We're now at 3.15. Can you see the personnel that they're going to have observing <laughs> me and my guide <laughs> at 3.15 in the morning? Let alone the fact uh, that you drive to the airport's mm-hmm. two hours from my dad's house right. in Ohio. In the two hours. Here we go. 
let, let's talk about the fact that you crossed me pre-orange juice. Um, <laughs> thank you. Coffee, <laughs> you know, got it. You're, it's not I, my dog's behavior that you're going to have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have you sign an attestation form saying that you're going to bring orange juice with you. That's right. That's right. I have been properly oranged. <laughs> but seriously, what qualifications do they have to observe me and my guide? A video? No. Also, even and four to six what? weeks training? No. I'm sorry. What are they observing? What behaviors are they looking for? Yes, this is my pet peeve on this. On this NPRN. What are we doing? I task and completely tell? Completely justified. What, what are we it's doing? This? Completely justified. Task and tell? And no, they I mean, cannot. Seriously. Uh, no. No, they cannot have you demonstrate anything like that. Could. And the, the spirit of this was that, hey, they can watch and see if the animal's going to act out. Okay, maybe that's not when the animal's going to act out. And part of this actually comes about, again, because of irresponsible people. What people would do would be to come in with their ESA letter and everything, and they would get there right before the last boarding call for the plane. And they would get their animal on the plane super quick so that they it couldn't be observed in the gate area. And then it would totally mm-hmm. disrupt the flight. And apparently, that's a pretty common practice for the fakers. Yes. So once again, rather than, you know, this is to, this law, <clears throat> excuse me, this law is to uphold our civil rights. No, what is happening is we are being subjected to things to lessen fraud. And that's not the purpose of this law. Cue the patriotic music. Right. (laughs) I'm going to find something now and play it underneath. (laughs) (laughs) We need that. I need some bedded music underneath Janine there so we can have There you go. Oh, I have plenty of it. Just let me know. I'll send it to you. (laughs) (laughs) But again, what behaviors are they looking for? Okay. What would you – okay. We have things that we certainly would consider obstructive behavior in our guys. Yes. Which are exactly yeah. the same things they're going to be technically looking for, although it doesn't are they? say that. Are we they? Don't the dog know. stands up and stretches. Yes, the dog shakes. You know, the gives one of those full body shakes. Yes. The, 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 oh my God, I'll be thrown out of the airport the first day. My I mean, dog distracted for a TSA dog the last time I was at the airport. I was so embarrassed. Oh. TSA dog distracts on your dog? And then your dog's yes. like, oh, holy crap. There you go. TSA dog was fine. My dog was being an idiot, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but even still. It's their mouth, and therefore they're baring their teeth. Yep, you got it. There you go. That's yeah. absolutely you ever watched a shepherd yeah. panting? When a shepherd yeah. is happy, that bottom jaw drops. Uh-huh. They smile. It's my smiling. Labrador it smiles. Really is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, my dog. You have a Labrador smile with everybody. Yeah, she does. Your Labrador is sweet. So what you're saying, Michael Jeff, rules. is under these new regs, uh, you and I should never take a flight together because your dog would vocalize every time mine tried to walk away. Yes. <laughs> that's correct. My dog she would vocalize smile at if the wind... Yeah, she'd smile at it. My, do- my dog will vocalize if the wind changes direction. Oh, no. Okay? So, oh, that dog's disruptive. He made a noise. That's right. So I want to see if they're going to put this regulation in. My comment to this is great. One, tell me how you're going to qualify these, quote, trained, unquote, personnel. And two, what behaviors are they monitoring for? Yeah. 
Thank oh, you. And, and be and, sure to put uh, that in your your Oh, it's already there. Response. I've already started the letter. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Jeff, you know, your do- your your shepherd did one of those big shepherd yawns where the Oh, that oh, that was yeah. a noise. Oh, that no. was a noise. Oh no. no. No, that was him showing his teeth and he was being vicious. Yeah. Or the playground noise. You know, the grunty, snorty noise that some mm-hmm. dogs make. Yes. Oh, no. Or the Labrador groan, yeah. rolling over on the side and going, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, no, that's Howling? a dog. She's growling. She's growling. This is another reason, folks, why... This is another reason, folks, why I say, have your video, you know, know how to invoke your video camera on your phone quickly. Um because, you know, sometimes it's your word against the airlines. And I've read enough of the airline complaints to say that by the time it gets to the people who write those complaints, you mm-hmm. could have been in two different universes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how long is it going to take for someone to get one of these people who will be observing their dogs mm-hmm. to get someone who is terrified of dogs? Oh, observing. yeah. Mm hmm. I was mm-hmm. going to mention that, but the way I was <laughs> going to say it wasn't going to be quite appropriate for the podcast. Megan. <laughs> we'll save that for the outtakes. Yeah, I hey. was going to say, we could all, we could all go there. Um, or, or do they use it as an excuse to interact with the dog? Do they use it as yes. an excuse, mm-hmm. like TSA people do, <clears throat> to pet the dog and love on the dog? Uh, oh yes for the purposes yes. of searching mm-hmm. it for mm-hmm. legal items mm-hmm. which you can't do anything about it you can't say anything about it they're loving mm-hmm. all over your dog yeah, their right. job. <laughs> while the dog's in harness and the dog's supposed to be sitting stoically but this person's in her face <laughs> and she's just like oh, friend <laughs> i'm curious to know how they're gonna assess the behavior of the dog as well are they gonna bring a aggressive dog in and have that dog pass that dog or whatever you know like what Mm -hmm. are they gonna do like that's just putting a lot i I think none of us really i think none of us really know and until we get some clarification on that you know it's sort of like okay you're gonna be watching but what are you gonna be watching for because those of us who really give a crap about this i was trying to pick my word there you know we're gonna be worried that our dog is moving and while the other people are just going to be, you know, out there and whatever, and then then our dogs are now turned into robot dogs, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's a it's a difficult one. I kind of understand it, but I I also I, I don't have time for it when I go to the airport. Thank you. No, I don't. Yeah, because it's the air, airport three hours ahead of time. Yes. So they could watch my guy lie at my feet. Yeah. Uh huh. Because yeah. the Wi-Fi is not that good. Okay. No, Darn no, right. it's and just not. not close enough. And if you're someone like me, who's an extremely anxious flyer, the more time I have to sit at the airport, the worse I am. And this is an interesting thing to bring up, Aaliyah, because, you know, flight anxiety is part of some disabling conditions. Let's face it. it It's a disabling condition for me. Absolutely. And I think it's appropriate to say that. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're especially discriminating against me based on mm-hmm. my decision to use a service animal to mitigate both of the disabilities that I have. Mm-hmm. One, my extreme mm-hmm. anxiety on the flight. Two, my blindness. Mm-hmm. My dog yeah. is great yeah. in that she can task for both. Mm-hmm. And literally all she has to do to help with my flight anxiety is to put her head on my foot. And it's a lot yeah. better. Yeah. But it's... Yeah. 
it's something that it's called deep pressure therapy uh it's wonderful it is it's (laughs) it's great um and so as long as i get her positioned in such a way that her face is out if she notices me getting nervous she will automatically one put her head down on my foot two she will put a paw across my foot actually um so she she knows but Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder for her to perform her task if i'm there a whole lot earlier and i have a whole lot more time to get amped up about it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even something that I've trained. It's just something she does naturally. But you know, why is how is that fair? How do we? How what gives them the right to exacerbate the symptoms of my disability by requiring me to do all this extra stuff? Good point. Agreed. So we're at the end of the list, aren't we, Janine? Just about, yeah. The only other thing that they talk about is equalizing things with foreign carriers, which for many of us isn't really an issue. But what would happen and why U.S. carriers, if you were flying overseas, would get a little twitchy, or if you were taking a foreign carrier into the U.S., was that the U.S. carriers got blamed, basically, if, say, Dubai Airline didn't want to take service animals for whatever reason. They knew they had to when they came into the U.S., but then, you know, you reverse the flights and United has to fly to Dubai and Dubai doesn't want service animals. And so they'd really rather not have you have them on the flight. It's really complicated, but and I'm not explaining it well at all. So (laughs) read the section. Yeah, it doesn't really apply to many of us. Um, It's more of an airline comment thing. To be fair, U.S. uh, carriers shouldn't be punished because of what foreign carriers do, uh, you know, going in and out of their country. As long as the foreign carriers are obeying the laws coming in here, that's what we're concerned about, basically. And that's that's where, um, as a handler, especially if you're going to be flying to foreign countries, you really need to do your homework before you fly. Absolutely. Because you could get stuck in a country that doesn't want your dog. Or you could be sent home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very quickly. Yep. And at your expense. Yes. Kind of curious to see if these were to come into effect, what it would do for, say, Canadians flying with service dogs to the States. Probably not much. I don't think it would it would really, you know, change things a lot. Although I, I know that you guys have just had all of that kerfuffle about airlines and transportation and things like that. So it would really depend on the airline, I think, and what they what kinds of things they would put in place that would be equal or or you know, somehow to the American carriers, but I'm not seeing it's going to be too big of a deal, I don't think. But then, That's kind you know, of what I was thinking. I don't fly back and hoping. forth, so <laughs> I've not done that before. The one thing I would be the health records form, at... getting it on the state side. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, well, do your homework. Do your homework. Yeah, and the thing with the health oh, records absolutely. form is there's not a timeline on that. So it, as long as you have it... You know, within the year of when you fly, you're okay. It's not like a health certificate that you get from your vet for 14 days before. Um, So, you know, unless yours is about to run out and your, you know, vacation or your business trip or whatever takes place within, then, you know, it should be okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the last thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up here is how do you comment? So we'll be posting a link 
to the actual comment page to submit comments regarding this NPRM. And I would encourage you to very strongly think about what you're going to say. Very much write it out ahead of time. Look at it. Spell check it. Um, <clears throat> have somebody proofread it. Have someone proofread mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Don't Eat. delete it after they proofread it. Oh. <laughs> Don't be like Janine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, make your voice heard. Every single comment counts, guys. And Yes, and they are required to read every single comment. Now, you know, obviously well-thought-out weightier arguments are going to be considered, and I just see them sorting them into piles, but that's kind of like, that's kind of what they do if you look at, and put your affiliations on there. If you have specific service animal-related affiliations, put them on there. Um, yes. That does carry weight. Absolutely. And get the word out. Tell, tell yeah. other guide dog handlers, guide dog teams. Our dog service dog animal teams handlers, Period. Tell them all. Service yeah, animal handlers, tell them, listen, please comment. Please take a minute to listen to the podcast and hear what you're about to run up against and get people mobilized. I mean, they're not going to listen. Air, airlines are going to win if we don't make enough of a stir. Because they, like, you said, like you said, Janine, they have a big lobby. They're putting yep. a lot of dollars. And we are not a lobby. But we are the ones who are going to be very, very badly affected if all this goes into play. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And I know where my dollars will go if this does go into effect. It will go to the airline that decides to still respect me as a person. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, yes. you know, some airlines will choose to take this absolutely letter of the law. We must do this. And others will see the you can, you may parts of it and say, OK, we don't have to require these forms, but we could mm -hmm. if we wanted. And Southwest, I have to give them props because they kind of led the charge. And look, a service animal is a service animal. The psychiatric service animal is, you know, ridiculous. Does it do a task? Does it have the public access behavior? Okay, fine. It's a service animal. You're good to go. And they haven't regretted that yet. Um, they are really hoping the, the emotional support animal thing Although the people I've talked to at Southwest are cool, they understand the need for real emotional support animals, but the fakery is just, the fraud is overwhelming in that area. Yeah. And I think things are, now people, you know, the airlines, some of the top airlines that start with A, said, um, <laughs> well, now everybody's just going to have a disability. To which Janine said, well, fine, then you go ahead and prosecute them for, you know, perjury. If that's the case, take it to court. Absolutely, you know, yep. figure yeah. it out. Through, yeah. It's, so it's it'll it'll be telling, and I and I said this, and and I say this not as a representative of any organization, guys. I don't say this any anything like that. I said if this stuff go stuff goes through the day that the regulations go into effect, I know of two, probably three airlines, and they're all huge who will have everything in place yes yep yep and because we'll be who, leading the you know who helped dream this all up yes and ends with elton <laughs> you got it yes yeah. yeah and you know to their credit it would behoove them to do that 
you know, okay, get it all in place. Show me how it's going to work. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be a heck of a lot more worried if they had we're going to put it in piecemeal. Because then you yes. wouldn't know Ugh. as a handler what to expect That's a good, at all. Yeah, thank you. And that was one of the f- big things that came from the ANPRM, the Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, was that, hey, you know what? We're tired of all of these different forms asking for different things. Allegiant is the only airline that still requires working service animal teams to fill out all of their forms. Yeah, and they shouldn't be able to. And they, they, they should not. No, they should not, because nobody else requires that now. But Allegiant still does. And granted, Allegiant is a small budget airline, and it's a small budget airline, and we'll leave it at that. But, yeah. There are reasons for that. But anyway. There are definitely reasons. <laughs> so, yeah. Watch 60 and Minutes, and you'll get my You drip. got it. So uh, I was going to say, don't think too hard about that. But yeah. regulations.gov is where you want to go. Um, you guys will have all the information. It is an accessible process for the most part, especially if you cut and paste your regulations. Don't try to type them in there. That's a nightmare. But you can cut and paste, I believe. Um, I'm pretty sure it's accessible. The last time I did it, it was, but things change. And so you should not have to have too much help with it, but somebody who's already commented can testify to that but yeah, i have not yet i will be mm-hmm. but oh i need to sit down and write it mm-hmm. and just know process, that but yeah and know that when you comment on something on regulations.gov you do have to put your name on it and people can search it so and your comments yeah. do not go away those four to six thousand comments and they've already received about a thousand comments i think probably more than that now mm-hmm. but at the end of the first week they'd received 500 already uh and that was probably industry and whatnot being prepared and some people just being stupid um but you and you can only comment once you can't submit like multiple comments yeah so, so it's best you know, get all your thoughts together construct your <laughs> yeah. thoughts absolutely yes Mm-hmm. All right. Does anyone have any final comments before we wrap? This has been a really long show. And if anybody has stuck with us through the end, thank you. Because this is really important. Indeed. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. We're going to get some contact information from people. Let's start with Janine. Do you have any contact information you'd like to give? Uh, I do, but you have to fill out a special form in order to get it. You know, And then I'm going to make you wait for an hour while I observe you to see if you're worthy of contact. <laughs> that's great. it. Okay. Oh, man, that's yeah, great. So you Just can find me, me outside of my day job, and I'll give you my, my personal contact info because this is the best way to reach me. So uh, my email is Janine, M-S, and that's J-E-N-I-N-E, M as in Mary, S as in Sam, at iCloud.com. Just think of that in Braille, and you'll remember how to spell it always. And uh, that's me. That's the quickest place to find me. All right. Uh, Jeff, what about you? Well, you can find me with my emotional support animal at <laughs> jeff.net. That was He's Jeff at I. Right over the top of me. Yes, yes. That was Jeff at iAccessibility.net, folks. Um, in case you didn't hear it over me making my snide comment. So. And <laughs> <laughs> be laughing. Yeah, well. And Megan, where can people find you online? 
You can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at megan at iAccessibility.net. That is M-E-A-G-H-A-N. You can also follow me on Twitter at MeganH13. That is M-E-A-G-H-A-N-H-13. And Leslie, what about you? You can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at leslie at iAccessibility.net. That's L-E-S-L-I-E. Or you can follow me on Twitter at lady underscore lessa. That's L-A-D-Y underscore L-E-S-S-A. All right. And you can find me, Aaliyah, producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Aaliyah, that's A-L-E-E-H-A, at iAccessibility.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at BlindCowGirl199. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It has been a marathon, folks. I want to thank you guys for hanging out and discussing this with me and growing some gray hairs with me and just just uh, processing all this. It's It's a lot. Can, can we do it now, Aaliyah? Let's pretend we're leaving the airline. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Watch your step. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Get that dog off my plane. <laughs> he obviously needs more observation. All right. <laughs> this show has been brought to you by the IACast Network. We love hearing from you. Email us at feedback at iAccessibility.net. Got Twitter? Follow us at iAccessibility1. Facebook, search for iAccessibility. Download our free apps for iOS and Android. And keep up with all of our content at iAccessibility.net. If you'd like to donate to our show, hit the PayPal button on our website. Get early access to our outtakes with a donation at patreon.com slash iacast. Thanks for listening.